0: This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner.
1: You are listening to In a City Like Yours, a semi-monthly podcast featuring interesting people with interesting life stories. This podcast may contain language and or subject matter not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Michael G. Moore. Please visit our website at inacitylikeyours.com. That's I-N-A-C-I-T-Y L-I-K-E-Y-O-U-R-S dot C-O-M for links to our social media, all popular podcast platforms, and links of interest pertaining to all episodes. Here is this week's story.
0: Hi, my name is Darren Bruce. I'm from Seattle, Washington, and I'm here to talk to you about my rise to where I have got to with this show called The DJ sessions. Uh, My story starts when uh, I was a young child about six years old and my dad bought the first ever video camera on the block. And although you know being six years old playing with a thousand dollar video camera was not something most parents would allow their children to do, my father allowed me to actually play with that video camera. And I started making short home movies, funny home movies, you know, uh, you could say, using string puppets, but my puppets weren't really puppets. They were more like G.I. Joe figures that were attached to fishing string. And I put some you know, dirt and rocks inside of a cardboard box and that would become my studio and kind of would do the voiceover and talking and do the puppeteering of the, the, uh, the G.I. Joe figures doing whatever they were gonna be doing. And, and then I would you know, make some funny home movies and stuff with the kids from the neighborhood and things of that nature. And I was always entranced by video production. I, I watched a lot of movies growing up, memorizing a lot of movies growing up, um, like Indiana Jones, Star Wars, um, numerous comedies uh, throughout, the, throughout the years. And um, you know, setting the way forward clock to uh, my senior year in high school, we actually, my, our high school offered the first ever video production class in the state of Washington. And I took to that like a fish like to water and uh, was working on working in that class and made a couple of funny short films in there. You know, most kids, they never got a chance to really play with the home camcorder. So picking up a camcorder and shooting and knowing how to use a tripod or, or even just editing was completely foreign to them. Whereas I had been doing this for you know years, 10, 11 years before any of these other other kids could even get their hands and do it, get into a studio. So, graduated from high school, and at that time, we're in the early 90s, and there really isn't much opportunity for a high school student to go work in a broadcast television world. We're just, we're not a Hollywood type of market up here. So, you know, I didn't have a resume, wasn't going to go knock on the studio doors. So, it kind of put a pause on me doing anything with video at that time. There was no real way to disseminate these videos and, and get these videos out to the world even if you were to make them i mean who was going to pick up a kid from seattle with a vhs tape of a backyard band playing you know maybe it could have been a hit okay but uh you know they wanted money they wanted production this is the 80s or i'm sorry the 90s for crying out loud mtv had already been out for a few years so they knew what they were looking for but again i'm still a high school kid with no resume no work experience well i ended up getting a job working for the local music store, local uh, record store. I, I do not even think they sold records, think it was all CDs and tapes, now that I think about it, during that transition. And what happened is I met this girl while I was working at the, the music store, and we ended up going out on a date. And we went to this nightclub, and we're hanging out at the nightclub, and the date was kind of going okay. I'd say if I had to rate it on a scale of 0 to 10, it was going like a 5. You know, it wasn't anything whoa overly special or or too boring but um, I was I was looking out the corner of my eye when we're sitting there waiting for the next song to come on and I saw these two guys across the across the floor of the nightclub one of them had a video camera on their shoulder with a light pack the other one's standing there with a microphone in his hand and I just looked at the girl and I said excuse me I'll, I'll be right back I'll, I'll be right back and I just remembered that was more exciting me seeing two guys doing video production than it was for me to be on the date with the girl. So I go over to them and I introduce myself to them and and they tell me about their show called The Cool Out Network. It was a hip hop television show that was was disseminated. It was put on the local public access station. And so I got the guy's number and went down, drove down to his house. Actually, obviously not that night, I took the girl home. And the next day I ended up going down and meeting up with Giorgio Brown, the executive producer of The Cool Out Network. And he showed me a show and told me what it was all about. And I kind of just fell into place with him, because here I come from this, you know, kind of homeschooled video production background to working with somebody that's actually producing a public access television show that's putting it on public access television. And we could see our work and we could tell our friends, check out this show. And that was just quite awesome. So um, working on that show, meeting a number of the hip hop uh, pioneers at that time, top top people in the music industry, uh, through that show, really just, it, it gave me a breath of air that, that was needed, uh, that, that was just really something that you just couldn't get. I mean, there was, of course, we're coming from a time when there was, there's was no YouTube. There wasn't, we didn't even use computers. I mean, I had a cell phone. Most people had pagers. So... Um, you know, communication was still by landline phone or voicemail at that time. And, you know, we kind of orchestrated and kept the show going and not only got to the air in, in his county that he lived in, but since I lived in another county, I could take the shows and put them in my county. And then we had another person that lived in the county below him. So we had the show airing in three separate counties in Western Washington, uh, which is kind of big. So a lot of public access people couldn't ever figure that one out on how we could get it aired in all these different areas which covered pretty much most of western washington so we're working on the show for a number of years and we get the opportunity to then work on a local talk show a late night show here in seattle and at that point i realized i've been more of what i would call an over glorified production assistant and and had to become a producer, like almost overnight, of working on this this show that was gonna go to broadcast television. It was gonna go to the NBC affiliates here in Seattle. So I had to quickly kind of study overnight and get beefed up on the terminology of the industry. And I did this just by literally going to Barnes & Noble and picking up some books, uh, the top books of the time, you know, and and just reading them uh, and and just educating myself on, Film and television production, more so television production, broadcast television production uh, than, than film production, but they kind of fall hand in hand. And uh, throughout that experience, I, I, I decided that I didn't like the direction the show was going because everything that was telling me out of all these books I was reading was to say, get everything on paper, get contracts, assign responsibility. I mean, I wanted to be an effective manager, or at least an effective producer. Well, when I started presenting this idea of contracts to this group, they actually started saying, no, we can't do contracts. No, we aren't gonna sign contracts. And I'm like, well, how do I know what I'm gonna get paid? How do I know what, I'm, what my credit's gonna be? How do I know how long I'm gonna be here for? You know, it just raised a lot of red flags. And I said, you know what? I will, I'm will. i just gonna leave, leave the production, have a nice day. I'm gonna go produce my own broadcast television series. And I walked out of there with the name of my show called Phantasmagoria. At the time, didn't know what it was gonna be about, had no idea whatsoever. Just I knew I had a name, Phantasmagoria. And so I tried doing that for about three, four months, knocking on doors, calling production companies, trying to get them to back me. And the one question that I've, I've I, I used to loathe this question back in the day, but now I understand it so much and why it's so important. To know this and at least have an answer when somebody asks you was what is your budget and that like that stumped me because I was going out knocking on a lot of production company doors saying wait I'm telling you the type of show I want to produce. you're in the industry shouldn't you know how much it cost again being very naive at the time um, but (laughs) later on in life not being so naive and understanding why that question is asked well wasn't really getting anywhere with that, but I still wanted to produce this show. And I said to myself, you know what? Something something has to change. And it was interesting that knowing that something needed to change and what happened next, which actually completely catapulted me into a completely different world of, uh, of progress, I would say, was a friend of the family came into town. And I hadn't seen this friend of the family for probably I'd say 15 years at least, minimum. He sat me down, took me out to dinner one night, having a martini, nice steak, nice, nice steak dinner. He's doing, he was doing really good for his life and he just looks at me and says, what do you want to do with your life? And I tell him, I, I want to be this executive producer, I want to produce these broadcast television shows. And he goes, so how's that working out for you? I said, it really isn't right now. He says, well, have you ever thought about going to school Now, I had dabbled with the idea in the past of going to college, but it never took. And I definitely didn't take to go into college right out of high school. And this is some years after me being out of high school, about eight years after being out of high school. And I'm just like, oh, you know, school, it just, I I threw up a few red flags or things that I thought were going to be major hurdles, you know, oh, if I go to school, how am I going to pay for it? He didn't say, he didn't tell me how to go pay for it. He said if you want to go you'll find the money at the time i had even been dating this girl who i was really in love with really really um passionate about her and i for some reason i don't know why it uttered out of my mouth i said well what about girls and he just looks at me and goes do you know women outnumber men on college campuses usually and they're all there doing the same thing and getting an education to forward their life and i go okay point number one point number two sold Okay, I'm, I'm liking this school idea. And I'm like, well, I don't have anywhere to live. And he goes, hey, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll find a place to stay. You know, you have your family. So like after these three hurdles were done, it kind of positioned me. It was almost like I was being sold on going to school. It was like the yes, 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 and then the clothes. So you're going to go to school? Yes. <laughs> it was kind of a setup. And I took my last remaining $800 that I had in my pocket. And I went and registered at at my my community college, my hometown, and uh, got into community college with the thought of learning how to run a company so I knew, so I would know how to run my production company that would be able to produce my show. And I was, the program I was in was a fast track program to put me into the University of Washington's uh, Foster School of Business. And so was going to school was ramping up was meeting friends great time this school thing was easy I mean for the, for the first few semesters of course you're just taking your basic bonehead classes but I got really involved with the school I got involved with student government I, I, I took a, a film production class there um, you know to learn uh, nonlinear editing or it was my first introduction to Final Cut Pro and um, just love that because it was no more tape to tape or deck to deck. It was all non-linear editing or basically digital editing, which is now what 90% of the world does. And it was just a, a great time. And we ended up in. I went to school. It was 2001. I started in January 2001. And by mid 2002, I had actually executive produced my first show to the Fox network stations here in Western Washington. And um, it was called Phantasmagoria. And the premise of the show is that we showed short films by independent producers. Kind of had some other segments come out of that, um, uh, other shows that were born out of that called Northwest Extreme Sports and Image Nightlife. And again, there's no video online at this point. It's still only we're working in a broadcast world. And I did not want to, in my sense, take a step backwards and go to public access. I could have easily made that move and gone that route, but I wanted the broadcast. I wanted the network credits. I wanted to be an executive producer in the broadcast television world. And so um, got out of school and uh, came into uh, 2005 where I actually started working for Apple. And while I was working there, I, I took on a whole new crew and we came back and revamped Phantasmagoria, Northwest Extreme Sports, Image Nightlife into what we called ITV and Phantasmagoria became ITV Short Films, Northwest Extreme Sports became ITV Sports, Image Nightlife became ITV Nightlife, so on and so forth, where we actually ended up making eight more separate pilots and getting them approved to air on 12 different NBC stations on the West Coast. So um, that was kind of a big thing. We were going for the big bucks. At this time, YouTube had come out, and we looked at, actually, we looked at the YouTube model and thought YouTube was for people that wanted to be themselves talking to the camera. They weren't in our world of broadcast television. You could say we were a little bit snobby when it first came out, because we're a broadcast television show. We're not these YouTuber people, and there's nothing wrong with the YouTuber people, we have nothing. We weren't looking down on them. It just felt like something else would come out that would cater to the broadcast television shows. And so while we were waiting for that, and I was working for Apple, Apple had ended up releasing the iPod photo. And that had a color screen on it. And I said to myself, well, how long is it gonna take before they make it so instead of it being a color screen that you can put photos on, will it become a video screen that you can actually start watching videos on? And lo and behold, three months later, boom, the video iPod gets announced. And so there was this mad scramble that at that time podcasting was a lot of audio formats because video online, it still really wasn't there. Um, Audio was definitely there. You know, people were making MP3s and. Doing blogs and blah blog and, and all that all over the place, so we came out and said, "Okay, we're not. We missed YouTube, but we're going to jump on this podcast thing." And made some calls, made some connections, and we ended up actually when iTunes was revamped to host the podcast section. If you go there now, it has all the different sections in it. We actually debuted when they launched that section for the first time in position number forty-eight in the iTunes Music Store, and. We went from a 1,000 downloads a week to 10,000 to 50,000 to a 100,000. At one point, we're doing 300,000 downloads a week, and I'm reaching out as an executive producer to all the other executive producers in that section saying, hey, people, how do we monetize this? Because there was no monetization. There was no business model to follow. We were literally making it up. And I mean, we could have thrown in any numbers we wanted to and stuck to the wall, but could we provide the, the details um, that say on broadcast television, you can provide Nielsen ratings or on radio, you can present Arbitron ratings. There weren't any ratings for podcasts. I mean, so what if we had a big email list? How do we turn that into a shopping? How do we turn those customers over to being buyers of products for our for our commercial sponsors? So that was interesting. So we, we kind of went back to broadcast, um, In 2009, while we were working on the podcast series, we went back to broadcast because at least we could sell commercial time in our broadcast shows. And this is all ups and downs. I mean, this isn't a smooth sailing path by any means. You know, I think persistence has probably been one of the key things that has gotten me to where I've gotten to today. Uh, So, you know, in 2009, um, I went to the Winter Music Conference in Miami. And I'd met some very notable A-list celebrity DJs there through a press contact that I had. But this one guy that we were there, we were staying in a hotel with him, he started telling me about this idea that he wants to start live streaming his sets. And I was at the time also running seven internet radio stations out of my apartment. And I said, you want to do what? You want to live stream video DJ sets? Okay, that's how are you going to do that? That's very expensive. I mean, I was looking at doing live streaming video and we were looking at, $3,000 $3,000 a month just for the base server and the pipeline for it and he goes yeah there's this company it's called uStream and you can set up a webcam and you can stream sets and I'm like okay so I kind of sat on my idea for a bit over the course of 2009 and in June of 2009 I started experimenting with the platform actually a little bit earlier than that. I think it might have been May, April May of that year I started experimenting playing around with uStream because at the time I'm coming in, I'm in a Mac world and everyone was in a PC world. So everyone, everything's made for PCs. I'm like, okay, is this really gonna work on a Mac? Test it out. You can actually see some of these first episodes that I was ever doing. I actually started doing the YouTuber thing, talking to the camera. I'd wake up at nine o'clock in the morning, get on camera, be there for three hours. And it's like, hi, my name is Darren and I'm talking to the camera live today. And I'd push it to Facebook and my friends would jump online and start laughing at me and I'd be, acting funny and doing singing songs and doing crazy stuff just to test the platform and it was somewhere in about september of 2009 because i started i I started bouncing around the idea before i said hey what if we i knew a lot of nightclub promoters and people and i felt that i'd given the kid enough time to if his idea was going to come to fruition he could do it but then i'm like am i stealing his idea or am i just utilizing my resources of what i can do as a producer to produce a show and you know came to terms with that and was like no i'm not No, i'm not i mean he might have get might have lit the, lit the match but i took the fire and ran with it started talking to nightclubs started talking to promoters started talking to djs and one night my friend calls me up on a tuesday night and he says darren i'm coming over to your house we're doing the dj sessions i'm like okay so he shows up with a couple bottles of wine Sit down, put our headsets in, and he just starts rocking out and playing a DJ set on his laptop. I have two cameras, one on me over my shoulder, he's over my shoulder, and then one looking down on him, sitting on sitting in my living room. About an hour goes by of this show. And I get up to go do something, I think go to the bathroom or something. I take my headsets off and I go, Oh my gosh, it's completely quiet in my apartment. I felt like I had just been in a nightclub for an hour while he was playing his music and i was like whoa and i put the headsets back on i take them back off put them back on take them i'm like i just was completely entranced by this live mix that this dj was doing right over my shoulder and after we finished his second hour set i said okay here's what we're gonna do we're gonna move the show to wednesdays i'm gonna go take all my cameras all my lights camera action gear multi-cam i'm gonna set it up in my bedroom and that's going to become the new studio. And we did that for a few months and it was going and rocking and rolling. And then uh, those contacts that I made earlier in the year, at Winter Music Conference, uh, there was a DJ by the name of Dave Dresden. And so he was coming to Seattle to play. And this guy's big. I mean, if you see Dave Dresden now, Dresden, uh, Gabriel and Dresden, they are huge on Twitch. They've been huge for years, but he, he makes songs he produces songs for some of the most notable celebrities in the world. And um, so Dave Dresden was coming to town and I had contacted his PR person and said, Hey, would Dave like to come back on the show and spin a set? And she's like, yeah, sure. Dave comes over and I have Dave Dresden playing my bedroom right there. The the, the, the gears, just everything clicked on and said, I'm onto something here. We can get A-list celebrities to come on to our studio and couple it with the local djs opening up for them and push this out to a worldwide audience okay something this is this is huge so i ended up getting more studios we got the mobile studio um you know and then just been pushing on ever since 2009 you know going forward Uh, you know the one thing i i would say though that's kept me going throughout all of this the one thing is, is definitely is consistency but not burning myself out. That has happened a number of times uh, in the past. So, you know, when when you look at doing something like this, and it's a long-term project, I've been in the game for 28 years. And, you know, I burnt myself out three times where I just didn't even want to pick up a camera. And the DJ sessions, I, bur- I burnt out and stopped for periods of time, but then restarted when I got my life together. And things will happen to you. I mean, they just... Whether it's work, whether it's relationship, where it's financial, an uh, emergency, um, things will happen, and you know you got to be prepared for those things to happen, and also be able to take a take a step back, reprioritize, and and get your stuff together. And uh, that actually happened after so many years in 2017. We're setting the way forward clock after doing the shows for so long, and uh, set the way forward clock to about late 2017 I finally had this epiphany that my life needed to change and I just needed to get some things done I was having um, some medical issues at the time that I needed surgery for I was in school and I, I just needed to really finish school and get that off my plate the DJ sessions needed a brand new website that was up to par up to you know where I wanted it to be um, not something that was four or five years old and uh, some other stuff that I needed to just prioritize. And once I made those priorities, my main focus, my chief definite aim in life, things just started to fall into order. I got my back surgery, I finished school, the website got built, took a little bit longer to get built than I wanted it to, but it got built. Uh, It took almost about a year and a half to get that website going to where I wanted to go. But I didn't let other things necessarily distract me. I didn't start, you know, saying, oh, I want to open up a lollipop factory or I want to go this direction. I want to go traveling or I want to go this. You know, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into a project like this. And of course, all of this is self-funded or or passion of the heart at this time. We're not getting major sponsors on board, but we needed to get put into a position where we could attract sponsors, where we could get that funding coming in. And so uh, it was 2019, uh, September 2019, we actually took the website out of beta and launched at the PAX convention here in town, the Penny Arcade Expo. It's the world's largest video game exposition here in our own backyard in Seattle and drove our mobile studio truck around with DJs playing in the back, streaming it live uh, on Twitch. We're a a featured partner with Twitch. And so it gives us a little bit of notoriety, gets us some some bump up in the ranks there. And, um, you know, within two hours of having our truck out there, uh, we had one, some girl, don't know who she was, but she, she ended up taking like a, a 37 second video of our truck driving around with one of our DJs dressed like a Borderlands three character in the back. And that video she put on Twitter. I don't know what exactly what hashtags she used, like go back and find them. Whatever hashtags they were that she used, it got 19,000 views in the first two hours of a being on. And we were like, all right, cool. This is awesome. So, you know, um, we came into to, to knowing that we were gonna start hitting in 2020 our, our event schedule that we were doing because we, were, we do what are called silent disco events. So we could branch out and start promoting and doing our own events, which is another arm of the company which is really awesome uh, to be out there and actually now be an event promoter. Um, I still wanna work with event promoters, but we are now an event promoter that works with event promoters and DJs that throws our own events. But um, we were getting ready to launch everything in march of, of 2020 when obviously everything got shut down and that was kind of a huge hit because we were we'd been gearing up for everything so to get climb up through all this to get this far in the game of doing the show for 10 years of being in the industry for 28 um you know there's that there's that pitfall there's that emergency there's that something that comes up and for the next couple months after that i spent my time figuring out what we were considered, where we found out we were considered to be an essential business because of the nature of what we do in our state. And came back in in May, late May of of 2020, and launched our series, uh, Silent Disco. You know, the DJ sessions present Silent Disco. And uh, got some local news, press attention on it, which was awesome. And started working with another company. We started doing these, uh, what were called the drive-through raves, and uh, working with some very notable professionals in, in that industry, in the entertainment industry, to try to do something to kindle or give hope in the in this this time of of so many businesses and, and things being shut down, especially the entertainment industry. Unfortunately, that that wasn't able to make it. Our governor came in and shut down drive-in concerts, but we're still able to operate and do our our our, um, our silent disco events, and then. Uh, We were doing it and then all of a sudden the protests started to happen and i decided to shut down and kind of put my efforts towards the protest towards the movement and and seeing where i could fit in where i could help out after a few months i realized i needed to, to stay in my own lane and do what i needed to do and and contribute in a way that i needed to contribute that made me feel as a contributor to the to the movement the cause once I did that, it kind of cleared my head up a little bit because I was getting a little scattered at that time. This is just a few months ago. Uh, just getting a little scattered and, and just needed to put things into perspective. And coming out of that, realizing where I wanted to put our funding, where I wanted things to go, you know, it just, it cleared my head. And I said, I picked July 18th as our official relaunch date of the DJ session Silent Disco Sessions. And we've been doing our events for the last few weeks now and have been getting... The people that could come out and say something bad are actually coming out and saying very good things about what we're doing because they see our operation. They see we're doing it in a very safe way. They see the, the social, physical distancing that's going on. They understand we're an essential business, that we're a nonprofit, um, charitable organization that's trying to really promote something that will bring people together through music, which has always been one of the core foundations of, of the DJ session. This goes back to, to me. Going to the nightclubs as a kid, you know, back when I was 18 years old and first started nightclubbing, and having that sense of togetherness through music in a room full of strangers, but you're all having the same shared experience of that DJ playing, and I kind of through that later on in life turned that into a a hit featured partner, you know, podcast live streaming series that that, you know has been going on for this, this October will be 11 years.
1: Wow. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you are you're, um, You must be excited because that's, you know, I, can, I would consider you a pioneer of the industry. What all you've been through and your story is incredible. Uh, the twists and turns of, you know, how you have come to where you are today. Now the, the, the DJ drive-throughs, kind uh, of explain that a little bit. I mean, give us a visual of what that looks like. Is that uh, you go into a parking lot and then people meet you there? Is that how that works?
0: yeah so it was actually a very interesting concept it goes back to you know take the drive-in movie theater um you know but this the company we were working with they do all the lighting stage design for the major electronic music productions they do the u2 concerts they this is one of the biggest companies on the west coast and they literally had this parking lot behind their warehouse of where they store all their lighting gear so they went up and did a full lighting rig i mean this is like concert worthy lighting rig, like major concert worthy lighting rig. But we could only bring in twenty cars at a time in the parking lot because we had to keep the cars social distance. But what they do is you drive in, you'd park we park your car, you'd watch the show for an hour, and then you drive out and then we drive the next round of cars in. And we bring in some very notable top DJs in the market to come and play these shows. Uh, so you were able to literally like rock out and watch, and it, we had a huge sound system array too. So I mean, you were getting the concert, the feel, of what you get. But it was like only for a. Sle- now of course the people would come with, you know, two, three, four people in their cars, uh, and they'd be rocking out in the cars. We would not let them get out of their cars. They had to stay in their car the whole time. That's why it only lasted for an hour because we couldn't provide bathroom facilities at this time. And the funny thing was. That the trick is that we actually had to brand this as a religious experience because of the way the state had put uh, limitations on what you could do. And so it basically was labeled as a uh, religious experience through music where you could reach your higher power through music. And uh, they signed off on it and we were just getting ready to go bigger and bigger and bigger with it. We were in touch with some major players to make this happen, and then our governor came in and, and said, no drive-through concerts. We're like, wait a second, you can do drive-in church, you can do drive-in theater, but you can't do a drive-in concert? There's no difference between the three of them whatsoever. Each one of them is delivering entertainment and the people still stay in their car the whole time. Very interesting. So, yeah, I kind of got, kind of got a little bit of a bummer of a, of a, of a, kibosh put on that and uh but it was interesting to see and just the feeling alone of being on stage with the loud music and the lights and just seeing an audience even if it was you know 80 people in four people in each of the single cars that were there it would send shivers down my spine each time i was on that stage because i didn't really realize how much i missed being on stage filming a live performance hearing the loud music seeing the lights I mean, lights, camera, action, and then the crowd response out and, you know, clapping their hands. I mean, it was just, it was phenomenal. And, and you know, it's just, it was, you can just tell people are craving that, you know, and they're not getting that level of entertainment. Um, you know, so that how was kind of cool to be part of that.
1: You mentioned that um, it's what's considered also a non nonprofit effort. Um, how did that work with the... DJ drive-throughs, as far as uh, your sponsors and so forth. how did How did you get that across to your the people who participated, uh, the kind of advertisement for the the sponsors?
0: Yeah, uh, this was a kind of a, so my company, the DJ Sessions Event Services, is a non nonprofit charitable organization. and it produces these shows. Uh, there's a number of shows under the umbrella, the DJ Sessions, which is the, sh- the show that we produce. I was actually tapped by the company that, that was called COVID Bat to actually be the video production company to come in and film that for them. So it was more like COVID Bat puts on live streaming, brought to you by video production, brought to you by the DJ sessions. So um, you know they were they were more the ones in charge of that production, uh, but I was working very closely alongside of, with them to make sure the video element and the live the the video capture and the video uh live stream was going out for the whole show so um yeah unfortunately all my sponsors have what's the word i what's the word somebody used the word with me they 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 phased right now they're still there they're just not there that makes sense they're like yeah we got a hold you know i had i had sponsors that were ready to start activating with us in in august this year and then they were pushed it to october and now they're pushing to March 2021, which makes sense because of the very nature of what we do. They want large crowds. They want attendees. We're throwing events. That's sort of hard to do, when you can only have five people gathering, you know, standing six feet away from another five people and six feet from another five people and six feet from another five people. And And then you gotta look at it from the responsibility factor of if they're gonna say, hey, we're part of this larger event and it's a, there's a call to action that says, Hey, everyone, come on down to this huge party. And then people come in and say, well, it's their fault that they invited us all here. You know, so, you know, some businesses are wanted, you know, they're a little hesitant towards that. Um, but we manage it pretty well with our silent disco events. We have a whole system in place. Um, you know, we're doing this in public, public, public places where people are free to free to come to. Um, so, you know it's it's very interesting but yeah as far as the sponsors they they were we were in talks with sponsors but once they put the the once the governor said no live events and especially no drive-in concerts they just went well not even the major companies could do this anymore and we're talking the big ones like live nation ag you know or we're like oh i guess we can't do those in washington (laughs) and unfortunately you know there was a, a a group um by the name of chain smokers they did a concert last weekend the weekend before and the apparently it was complete it was bad you had people there that were supposed to be staying in their cars or staying around their cars they didn't follow protocol they're running around without their mascots we're talking thousands of people it was it was bad they're getting a lot of heat for it right now because it wasn't done all intentions were good going in, but once it got in the model of making it happen, it went completely sideways. And, you know, gotta make sure those kind of things aren't happening right now. You don't want that kind of you don't want that kind of publicity. They say some publicity all publicity is good publicity. Some some can be bad too, you know.
1: Well, when when the COVID is finally under control, hopefully soon uh, and you go back to having the live events where people can actually get out of their cars and, and participate physically with uh, with the shows. Are you thinking of branching out to other cities in the in the country, or you you just you're going to stay around the Washington area?
0: Absolutely, uh, that's always been our goal. Uh, we were supposed to have three cities by the end of 19, and um, three cities ready to go to launch for 2020. Um, I'm hoping to still get those three to five cities. We're going down the west coast first. But it was actually one of our sponsors, a very funny story that happened, is one morning I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know what, I wanna get out of town. I wanna get out of Seattle, I wanna go to another city, maybe visit some friends, just just something. Maybe just go on a road trip is actually what I said. And this is like eight o'clock in the morning I said this. And I'm like, you know, we have our mobile, Studio, our, our, our mobile session studio, which I'll talk to you about in a moment, but essentially it's a big glass box on the back of a truck. And I built a television, a live streaming television studio on the back of it. And we drive it around and we can actually stream live from it as we drive around with technology where it's gotten more advanced. In the, in the early days, 10 years ago, we would just pull it up to events and we do our whole show and stream live while it was parked. Now we can actually stream live while we're driving around. And a show that I'd come up with 10 years ago, I was actually interviewed by Kevin Smith. Are you familiar with who he is?
1: Oh yeah, the Clerks.
0: Okay, yeah, Clerks, yes. So Kevin Smith uh, did a short little segment on us 10 years ago on his, his Smodcast when it first came out. And we had talked about, I, I wasn't talking with him, but he had mentioned our show and the copy that I gave him to read off. And uh, we had invented the show called The DJ Sessions Presents The Freeway Sessions the fastest moving dj show in the world and the idea was to take the truck and drive it down from city to city to city with djs playing in the back as we drove it down and record those sets going on as we went from city to city and as we went to each city we would pick up different djs from those cities and then take them on the next leg of the tour and and do this nationwide so i woke up and this is this is literally less than a month and a half ago and I'm, I wake up this mor- that morning at like 8 o'clock, I'm laying there in bed saying, I want to go on a road trip. Maybe I could get a buddy of mine or somebody to go with me and get a couple of DJs. We're just going to go on a road trip. Let's just let's go do the freeway sessions. Let's just get out of town. Two hours later, one of my friends that I, I helped her, I work with her, business consultant, talk with her, great person, Callie. She calls me up and says, Darren, my friend works for a beverage company and they're looking to do something. And... She, she literally says this to me, which is so funny because we've known each other for five years. She goes, hey, you can put DJs in your truck and drive them around, can't you? And go to different places and then have like a street team pop up. I go, yeah, we, we, we do that right now, Callie. And she goes, hmm, well, I want to put you in front of my friend who runs this beverage company. They're getting ready to launch a new beverage. It's like a, like a Truly or like a White Claw. And they want you to go drive around the Seattle area and do like pop-ups at different beaches with their with their street team. And can do you think you can do that? And I go, Yeah, we already we already do that for the DJ sessions. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow, okay, that was just kind of serendipitous. About an hour later, Callie calls me back up and says, Hey Darren can you can you do that in other cities too can you drive the truck to other cities and have djs play in the back of it and do pop-up events and stuff like that i go cali i just had the thought in my i just literally put on facebook two hours three hours ago that i'm looking to do a road trip and go do this like this is the it was the weirdest thing michael it was just really weird that i had this idea and here my friend is calling me up and a sponsor that wants to come on board and pay us to go do it we're actually doing but it, they were pitching us the idea like they had come up with and I'm like, we already we are do that.
1: Oh, <laughs> it was great. just
0: very, very, yeah. So we're in talks. We were supposed to activate August, activate October, and it looks like we're probably going to have to put it off to to March of next year. Because I was when I got on the call with them, they not only had their West Coast advertising person, they had their East Coast team on the phone call as well. So they wanted us to go and do a whole nationwide tour. That also leads us into, we work with the United States DJ Association, and they have over 700 members nationwide. This goes anywhere from nightclub um, DJs to wedding and event DJs. And so we have a large network we can tap into of people that are already doing this. And uh, pre-COVID, I would say you might see about 1% of the DJ world was streaming online. Now, post, we're seeing 99.9% of all DJs streaming online or at least attempting to do something or getting out there and because you can't go to the nightclubs anymore. So the conversation now is when I would walk up to people and I'd say, hey, uh, yeah, we're a featured partner on Twitch. We do a DJ streaming show. They might know what a DJ streaming show is, but they go, what's Twitch? What is that? And I'd have to explain it and say, well, you've heard of YouTube, right? They go, yeah. And I go, okay, well, Google owns YouTube. Amazon basically runs Twitch. And it would put it into perspective from a money standpoint, like, oh, this is a big company. I go, yes. And we're a featured partner with them. And out of the, I don't even know what the exact number is now, but I know it's at least 20 million streamers, probably more than that now with Twitch. They've only come out, they've only featured partnered about 50,000 people. So we're in a very small percentage of being that featured partner with Twitch. It's it's like an honor to to be said you're a featured partner with us um, and, and climbing the ranks. So we're honored that, that Twitch is our is our is our home for right now that we that we use to live stream with. And yeah, uh,
1: yeah, Twitch is, has a lot of gamers as well. Is, isn't that the same program? That I'm thinking that's
0: about? that's what. Yeah, and that's what most people would think. When I went to them, they go, isn't that the video game streaming platform? i go, no, it's actually a large, it's a platform that is, is you could stream anything you want on it. And what people didn't understand is these video gamers, um, the term IRL, or in real life. So you'd have your video game world, or say I'm playing Super Mario Brothers. I'm probably just dated myself, but <laughs> I'm playing Super Mario Brothers. And, but let's say I don't wanna play Super Mario Brothers that day, I wanna go, cook something in my kitchen or i play the guitar or i just want to talk to my fans and and or I, i might have some other hobby that i do that i might dj and they're like wow you play video games and you dj or you play video games and you cook and so uh you see a lot of other people using twitch for those in real life segments as well as their hobby or their video game segments or their music segments And you know, Twitch has really developed the platform. I mean, I came from using Ustream and Livestream. And at the time they were very robust, they were awesome. They had the ability to have a chat room. You could share your video right away. They gave you the ability to put video on demand there. But it really wasn't designed for you to monetize in the sense of things. Where Twitch came out, Twitch was born out of Justin TV. And and we were featured partners with both Livestream and Ustream as well. We chose Ustream as our platform because I just started sending a lot of content there and uh, just kind of kept it all on Ustream. But um, Twitch took Justin TV and they just really built it to a, a whole new level where, where you could have people subscribe. You could have people donate bits. Um, you can make, I wouldn't say your own web page on Twitch, but you can put in, um, I, I think it's called modules. I should know this um you put like these extensions in and you can kind of do certain things with it you can build your twitch page out which which gives you a lot more flexibility than the rigidness of the live stream or or ustream format eventually why we funny story why we had to actually move to twitch was because we were on a grandfathered account with uh ustream it was a ten dollar storage hosting account and ibm came in and bought ustream and they told us They said, hey, you have to go remove your 1,100 or so videos off of our site, pull them down now, because you're not gonna have access to them anymore because we're getting rid of your storage account. Your video, and I, I was told that all of our videos were actually gonna be completely wiped from Ustream. They're still up there now, our whole library is up there, but I have no back-end access to pull those videos down anymore. And I was like, WTF, and at the same time, GoDaddy had come at me for the third time um, and kind of slapped my hand because we were doing about oh what was it like eighty to one hundred and twenty terabytes of downloads because I was hosting my podcast on a fifteen dollars a month shared hosting plan with them because they say you get unlimited bandwidth and they say you get unlimited storage for fifteen dollars a month Mm, no you don't (laughs) so uh, long story short yeah we had to kind of find out couple new platforms and when I went over to twitch and said hey twitch this is what I got this is what we got going on they said okay yeah you're you're you've done you've done the legwork you got it you're featured you're in and I was like whoa cool and uh, we were were with them for about a month or two and they actually took one of our shows and put it to the front page of their site we were up there for two hours and we had twenty five hundred uh, it was a little over 2,500 people in the chat room and uh, 55,000 views in about two hours. Wow. And I had never seen anything like that in the live streaming world before. I mean, we, we had pushed and got up to like a couple hundred viewers a few times, but nothing like that. And I mean, it was, just, I'm watching, I'm on the front page of Twitch. I mean, this is worldwide recognition. This goes out around the world, you're on the front page of Twitch. So I'm just like, whoa! So I just, I love our partnership with Twitch and, and what we do there. And, and then, um, you know, kind of having to figure out all this on the back end hosting stuff and building the website. That's always been a fun project. So, you know, when all this hit, um, we didn't jump on board and start saying, look at us, we're a DJ show. I actually sat back and watched. And I let everyone else jump on board because I knew it was going to happen. It was going to be so cluttered but look at me, look at me, look at me, look at the, all the A-list celebrities. Look at us, look at us, look at, I just you're lost in the mix. So I came in and focused on back-end stuff, getting our events up and running, kind of shifted gears to where I needed to be focused on. Because we've been doing the live streaming thing for 10 years. I got that in my sleep. Podcasting 15 years. Heck, if I wanted to go back to broadcast television, I you'd probably do that standing on my head back, walking backwards while drinking milk through my nose in my sleep, probably, (laughs) I don't That's, you know. um, But, you know, it's just uh, basically, I I wanted to make sure that we had all of our infrastructure ready to move forward. So when we went out there to go seek sponsorships, we had our events dialed in. I mean, we have over a hundred events a year, not including our mobile sessions, where literally I am putting on 150 shows. When I say 150 shows, at each of those shows I'm capturing anywhere between 8 to 16 hours worth of footage. So every Saturday and every Sunday I'm getting a minimum of 8 hours per footage on Saturdays and Sundays. Every Wednesday I'm getting 4 hours of footage and when we start getting A-list celebrities coming back on we'll be getting another 4 hours of footage per week. So I'm looking at producing anywhere between uh, 16 to 36 hours of content a week right now. and. The only way we can do that is through utilizing what we call silent disco technology. Are you familiar with what that is?
1: No, go ahead and explain it.
0: So when you go to a regular concert and you're listening to the music, it's over a big loud sound system. Everyone's listening to it. What silent disco technology does is basically it puts the music into headsets. And then when you're wearing those headsets, you can walk a thousand feet away from the stage where the transmitter is and listen to the music anywhere. But, you also get multiple channels. So I can put one DJ booth next to another DJ booth next to another DJ booth. I can put four DJ booths next to each other, have four DJs all playing at the same time, live stream and record each one of those four sets going, and then have another group of four DJs, another group of four DJs, and another group of four DJs. I can do 16 hours of production in a four hour time window all while streaming all four stages live, and come back and post all of that footage, done, edited in the box, instantaneously, ready to be disseminated.
1: Wow, it still sounds like a lot of work, though. How do you, how do, you do that?
0: I'm crazy, I don't know, I figured it out. I just, I, I mean, I've been playing, like I said, I've been playing with a video camera since I was six years old. To me, this is my passion, it's my love, it's, it's what I know how to do. and. Right now, I'm one of the only people that I know that has a multi-channel station utilizing Silent Disco where we can be having a live event with DJs, so you could be at home right now and I could go, hey, go to thedjsessions.com forward slash live. We have four channels live right now. Your friend could be at the event listening to the Red Channel and he goes on Facebook and says, hey, check me out, I'm listening to the Red Channel. You're at home, you jump on and start listening to the Red Channel. Now you can also jump into the chat room and start saying, wow, this red channel's awesome. But you could go down and say, let me click on the blue channel. And you start listening to the blue channel. You come back to your friend who you saw online and say, hey, you gotta go check out the blue channel. That's on fire right now. Your friend at the event could then go and click his button on his headset, tune into the blue channel go, oh my gosh, this blue channel is awesome right now. So you get a full round trip processing of bringing in The actual attendee of the event into the online conversation with people from around the world that they all can be chatting and having this experience all at the same time.
1: So let me ask you this: I'm going to go back a little bit. Uh, You you had said before that you do podcasting as well. Mm -hmm. What is podcasting like for you? It's not. It doesn't have, the, does it do with the music and you talk to the DJs or do you have, you know, what's format for you, uh, that you have oh. your podcast?
0: Yeah. Every single one of our shows, how, how it gets to go to video on demand is basically a podcast. So, I mean, so we go live with our live stream and then all of our video on demand that's, that gets ingested into our site is actually coming from our podcast feed that is also, you know, up in iTunes, um, iHeart, stitcher all the other podcast websites out there so they're just grabbing our xml feed and i like that because if somebody didn't catch our shows live they can usually go back to our website and obviously find the episode and watch it because they're all in chronological order in that sense but if they wanted to they could just subscribe to us through itunes and as our shows come live it gets downloaded right to their itunes right to their iphone or ipod and they got our shows ready to go uh, and they aren't necessarily wasting bandwidth or cellular data because it's usually, it's going to do that probably over Wi-Fi at home for them or if they're at a library or wherever they might have Wi-Fi at. Um, and so we use podcasting as our back-end support of our show. The, the show is one and the same. So if we do a show live that same hour that we record is the same version that goes to the podcast feed as well. And back in the day we used to do um, interviews with the DJs we do a pre-interview and a post-interview before they're set and after they're set. And actually just got off the phone today with a local, um, you're hearing it here first, with a local music website that's been covering the electronic music scene for a number of years here in the Seattle area. And we're talking about bringing on some of their writers, some of their journalists, and giving them that opportunity to be video hosts. Cause it's honestly, it's been me for the last 10 years. You know. I've had other people come on board and do it, but when the show must go on, the show must go on, I gotta jump up and pick up the mic. So that's why I said, I do have some acting skills here that I've roughly done. I've been on camera a few times. <laughs> no big starring roles, but been next to some big star, big A-list celebrity DJs. and Had a great time doing that, you know, it's it's, it's an interview thing and you get used to it. I mean, my first time I ever was on camera because I said the show must go on. This is way back in the day. I did 67 takes on a 30 second intro and then I stopped counting. Uh, I probably did about another 25 <laughs> because I wasn't getting my breath right. I wasn't getting my enunciation right. I wasn't saying it right. I was bouncing on my, my toes or I could just, something was going wrong. It was just, it was bad. I wish I could find that tape somewhere. I'm I'm sure I have it in my archives, but um, yeah.
1: Okay. Where would you send my listeners so that they can keep up with what you're doing and know, especially when you start doing the uh, traveling uh, DJ sessions and and just wherever they need to go so that they can follow what you're doing and become involved?
0: I I would send everyone to thedjsessions.com all of our socials are there uh hashtag us the dj sessions at mention the dj sessions if you want to know when we go live go to twitch and actually just follow us on twitch because when we go live it'll it'll send you a notice saying up oh, they're live on twitch um but if you're following us on instagram i mean i, I think if you really want to know when we go live or or if you want to subscribe to our shows as well you can do that through our website the itunes link is there um all the links are there twitch facebook instagram uh, Twitter, uh, but the DJ sessions.com is where you're going to find out all of our information, all of our news, um, you know, our blogs there, you can sign up for that. Um, but yeah, all at the DJ sessions.com.